Do you even Bible? Ronald Reagan made this statement. He said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. For all the problems we face, our answers are in the Bible. Who knows that? Who believes that? You know, sometimes we can know something, but do you believe it? There's one thing to know, but it's another thing to believe. And so this is what he says. You know, that is someone who ran, what? One of the superpowers of the world. You know, he's got something to say about it. You know, we live in a day and age where people are illiterate to what is actually in the pages of the Bible. Do you realize that? There are a lot of people that don't even know what is in the pages of this Bible. So if this is the answer for all humankind, then isn't it wise that we actually just open it up? I remember when I was at school, and um, that was a long time ago, is we had books. Nowadays, my daughter in year seven comes home and she's got the iPad. Like, what are you doing? Homework. Yeah, right. But, but apparently she is. She's doing homework. But I remember the days where we used to get the book. And you would go through and you would do the book. You would do your homework. You would do the maths. But the thing that I loved about this book is that the answers were always in the book. So it was amazing. On my homework, it was always 100%. So sometimes I wonder, you know, we're doing life, but we really don't really look at the answers. And so today we want to have a look and over this next month we want to talk about do you even Bible? You know, some people think that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were a rock group from the 60s. Honestly, if you've never been to church and you hear about these guys, you're like, well, they must be like the Beatles. True? It's like we live in a day and age where people haven't grown up in Sunday school. Or for some of you, you've grown up in Sunday school and you, you get there and you, and you forget what is actually within the Bible. The other thing is some people think that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. They weren't. They got smoked. They were cities. You know, it, but some people, we have no understanding. Some people come in and, and, and they're just giving their life time. Or they're coming in and they're, they're trying this thing called church, but they have no understanding of what's actually within the pages of this book. <laughs> well, what about the other? Is that some think that the epistles were the wives of the apostles? <laughs> now, this is the day in which we live. And so over this season, over this month, we're going to have a look and, and ask the question, do you even Bible? You know, for some of us here, we know that there's a New Testament, but we've actually never ever opened the Old Testament. If you've never opened the Old Testament, I would say open it. It's like watching Suits. It's like the... It's like the... I can't go... The three-year-old laughing at that. He knows what Suits is. I know your parents, son. But you look at this. Is it this book that was written? It has all the answers for mankind. It is a narrative of history. You know, kings, we're going to look at this morning. And, and in the Old Testament, I just want to go through this just quickly this morning. But in Kings, we're going to open it up. But Kings was, was written in about um, 560 to 638 B.C. And the author is anonymous. Some think that Jeremiah wrote this book. But within the pages of this book, there are many personalities. You know, the book of the Kings is a purpose to demonstrate the value where of those that obey God 
and the fate of those who refuse God. It's that purpose to show us those things. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to look at a story this morning. And it's the story of Naaman. Has anyone ever read the story of Naaman? Okay, three, four, five, ten. Okay, see, this is what I'm talking about this morning. So we're going to look at the story of Naaman. You know, and as we do, it's in um, 2 Kings chapter 5. And if you want to open up your Bible, you can. Or you can look to the screen. But here we've got, we've got Naaman, 2 Kings 5. One minute. Getting more hand signals this morning. We have a story about Naaman. You know, this, this man, Naaman, he is, a, he is a commander of an army of Syria. He is a popular man um, with his fellow men, but also too with his king. Um, he is a man with many a great honourable battles under his belt. But the thing that I love about this man is that when you read it in the first... Back one. It's coming. When you read it within the first verses, it talks about what he had achieved. But the thing is, is these battles, it says in the Scripture, were given to him by the Lord God is that all his accolades, all the things that he achieved within his life, he thought came from himself, but were actually given to him by God. You know, but then you start to read these things, and you read through the first three verses, and then you find that though he had done all these things, Naaman had one problem. He had one problem. He was a leper. He was a leper. Is that he was a valiant warrior who became a leper. I don't know about you, but some of us uh, try to picture what would today be like. Today we have medicine that can heal leprosy. But back then, there was no healing. In the Bible times, there was no cure for leprosy. Is that if you were a leper, you had to cover yourself in black, cover your face with a hood, and every time you went somewhere, you went through town, you would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean so everyone would move away so they wouldn't touch you because no one wanted leprosy. The other thing with this disease is that as soon as you got it is that you were, you were isolated from community. You couldn't live inside the walls of the city. You were outside the walls. And so now this valiant warrior, this man who was popular, has to live like this. He had the world at his fingertips. But all of a sudden, it was fading away. Do you realize the meaning of Naaman means beautiful? It means handsome. All of a sudden, his name was losing its meaning. So here we have a champion in Kings, in this time in his life, that is desperate. He had had everything, but all of a sudden... He was finding he had nothing. You know, we read through the scriptures and we know that in Bible times that leprosy was incurable by man. But who knows that all things are possible through God? Who knows that all things are possible through God? You know, he can do all things, you know, for those that believe. And so Naaman, he had this problem is that, you know what, he was a leper. But also too, he had another problem. 
He wasn't a believer. So when we start to read through the scriptures, you know, his life isn't looking really good. It isn't looking well for him. It's like this guy, he's got nothing going for him right now. He's in a desperate spot. You know, he, he can't quite be the man that he's called to be because as leprosy, you start to lose your digits. So, of course, on the battlefield, what? He wouldn't be able to hold anything. So in battle where he had found his success, where victory had come, where he'd been useful to his master, the king, all of a sudden, he was of no use to his kingdom. And so we find him here in this place in Kings. But I love how God works. God works in mysterious ways. Why? Because all of a sudden in his life throughout this, these verses, you find that through an unrighteous act of his army comes his answer. Through an unrighteous act, all of a sudden his army goes on a raid into Israel and they bring back this young girl. They bring back this maid and, and all of a sudden she becomes a slave to the house of Naaman. She becomes a maid to his wife. And I, I love how God moves. Some of us, we would see this as unfavorable. But this young girl, you know, is taken from her family. If you were taken from your family and made to work for someone, wouldn't you find it hard to love those people? You would always be looking at them with some sort of unforgiveness, bitterness, like you just stole my family. You just maybe murdered my family. You just maybe, but all of a sudden this young girl finds herself in this household. She finds herself in this place. This little slave girl from a foreign land becomes the instrument in which God uses. She becomes the instrument in which God uses. She was a girl using the problems of life as opportunities to share the love of God. How many of us in this room use the opportunities of life to share the love of God? You know, some of us need to look at our opportunities, look at our problems as opportunities. You look at Joseph, he was taken out, you know, he was sold into slavery and next minute he's in Egypt second in command, and all of a sudden, he's the saviour of Israel, where they come. and they, You know, sometimes God puts us in these places so that we can shine some light. I believe this is that Christians are instruments of God's love. We are instruments of God's love. Where there is a person who heart, whose heart has been prepared, God will always have a messenger. Do you realise that? And we are his messengers. God was preparing Naaman's heart. And in that point in time, God positioned a messenger. My question to you today is, whose messenger are you positioned for? Where has God positioned you to be the messenger? In your workplace, in your community, in your family, where has he positioned you? For some of us, we look at it and we go, wow, I don't know what I'm doing here, God. I don't know why you've got me here. But sometimes we just need to take the blink and go, God, show me why you've got me here. Show me what answer, what solution that I'm going to bring to the problems of life that are facing those around me. And as their hearts start to prepare and start to look for answers, and when that moment comes that you can speak, 
you know, what kind of messenger does God use? He uses those that are available and those that are willing. We need to be a willing church. We need to be willing to bring the answer. You know, we are called to use the problems of life as opportunities to share the love of God. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves Him. They are the ones God has chosen for His purpose. I love that. Is that God right now is at work. He's always at work for the good of everyone who loves Him. If you just love Him and trust Him, He'll put you in the right spot. This young girl came into this spot and maybe she thought, this is my time, this is my hour, this is where I'm going to influence. She'd positioned him positioned her in a place that would influence a nation. You know, this young girl was there. Her life would have spoken volumes. Her life must have been a testimony. She must have been walking around the house singing, I I don't know, glory to God or whatever it is, singing one of the City Point live classics. You reign. The first one. Everyone's like, what's that one? But all of a sudden, they see a difference about her. But the thing that I find is that she had credibility to her words. So that when she spoke, the family listened. The door to Naaman's healing was opened by this young slave recommending her to seek out a prophet in Israel. We open the doors for healing of those around us. We open the doors. We are called to open the doors of healing. We are called to position ourselves to bring healing. Not to be the healer, but to bring healing. To position people, to point them in the right direction so that they can find their healing. She just pointed him to the man of God. She was like, yeah, I know that you can get healing. And the way you're going to get healing is go and seek this prophet out in Israel. Go over there and find healing. God is preparing hearts. All we have to do is point people to Him. All we have to do is point people to Him. Who in your world do you need right now just to point them to Him? You know, Naaman finds himself tracking down this prophet. He hears the word from this young girl and decides, okay, you know what, I've I've got nothing else to lose. I'm going to find this prophet. I want healing. I'm going to find this prophet. But before he goes and tracks down this prophet, he goes to his king, his master, and says, hey, listen, this slave girl says that I can be healed, says that there is a prophet in Israel that can bring healing to me. Can I go? His master, the king, gives him abundance of money and says, here, go. So he goes out and he seeks out this prophet. But the first place that he goes is actually the wrong place. He actually ends up on the doorstep of the king of Israel. And the king of Israel finds this guy. And what you've got to realize, this bounty that the king had given him to pay this prophet was something over $2 million in today's day and age. So all of a sudden, he's got a $2 million bounty. And so he's got an army, his army, following him behind, rocks up and knocks on the door and says, hey, heal me. How'd that be? Someone knocks up at your door. 
heal me. This young girl, she told me, heal me. What would you say? The king of Israel, he's like, what is this? Am I a God? And he tears his clothes. Tears his clothes. Because he's like, what is this guy doing? He sees the army. He's like, this guy just wants a fight. He doesn't want healing. He wants to take my land. Tears his clothes. And Elisha the prophet hears of this and says word to the king. And the king said, and he says to the king, hey, send the guy to me and he will find his healing. So next minute you find Naaman on the door of the prophet. He's tracked him down. <laughs> I, I love this because Naaman's there. He's a hotshot. He's the man. He's made it. He's there. He's got his chariots. He rocks up and the man of God doesn't even come out to say hi. How impolitically correct is that? He's even going to pay him and he doesn't even come out. Like, how rude. How rude. At least the man of God should be Christian-like and come out and say hello. But all of a sudden, no, he sends his servant. He sends a messenger out. And he says to Naaman, hey, Naaman, this is what I want you to do, and actually gives him instructions. <laughs> I, you know, I love how God deals with each and every one of us. I love how God deals with each and every one of us. Right now, God is dealing with pride in Naaman. You know, what I find is that God deals with our pride before he deals with our need. Here he is, he rocks up at the man of God and he says, hey, I've got a need, I want you to fix it. And God's like, yeah, we know you've got a need, but first we need to fix the pride. God's more interested in what's going on in us than getting something to us. It's more about the journey. I love what Andrew Murray says. He says, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. In our lives, pride must die first before heaven can live in us. And so here we have Naaman, here, at this moment, knocking on the door. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. I believe Naaman rocked up. And his belief was in the prophet, not in the God. He was like, you're going to heal me. And I believe God knew this. I believe the prophet knew this. And decided, you know what, I'm not going to go out that door because it's not about me, it's about him. And so he sends his messenger out. You know, this is the thing with pride. Is that this world today in which we live has an attitude that there is no God. There is no God. You know, who are the proud? are those who are indifferent to God's plan, who refuse to commit themselves to kingdom purposes, who attempt to handle life by their own abilities and strategies. Does it sound like anyone? Just me. You know, sometimes I'm like, God, I've got this. You know, God looks down and goes, well, how's it going for you? Is that just me? It's like, God, you know what? It's okay. Just sit over there, God. I've known you long enough. I know what you're going to do. I'll just do that. And then all of a sudden, it's like, and he's like, have you got it? 
Do you want me to help right now? Uh, you're in a bit of trouble. You know, sometimes, we, sometimes we just need to humble ourselves. And at this point in time, Naaman is going through this. It's the first thing is he humbled himself to an opinion of a slave. Now he has to humble himself to a messenger sent by a prophet. Do they know who I am? Do they know who I am? You know, it's the attitude that there is no God. I was, does anyone follow James McPherson? James McPherson runs a great church, Calvary Church in Australia, and he's just opened one in South Africa. Because who knows, they're all moving here, but they need God there too. <laughs> but he, he's, and the great thing is, is before he became a pastor, he was a journalist. And he just put an article in the Australian, and I want to encourage you, get it. I think it was about Wednesday or Thursday he wrote it, and it was on the front page on their uh, website. And it was really, it was just about the Greens taking the Lord's Prayer out of our parliament every day. Right there, the attitude of this world is that there is no God. That there is no God. And I want to encourage you, go and look at that, go and read it. Because it talks about what happens when you take God out. Is it means that, you know what, you become the higher power. And that there is no higher power than you. And God forbid that we believe that there is no one higher than ourselves. And so this is the attitude that the world takes. And so right now, within this, is God is working in Naaman's heart. God looks down every now and then. He goes, how's it working out for you? God will always deal with your pride in your life. St. Yeah. <laughs> Augustine made this statement. He said, it was pride that changed the angels into devils. It is humility that makes men into angels. Humility, humbling ourselves. Elisha didn't even come out to address Naaman. Didn't even come out. God was dealing with Naaman's pride first. Pride before need. Pride before need. Naaman was there. Little servant girl. Now I've got to do what? The messenger makes this statement and says, Go, wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. I don't know. Has anyone ever had God ask them to do something? And you're like, Nah. <laughs> you're also holy. Like, it's like, you want me to say hello to someone? Yes. The Spirit's prompting you. Go and say hi to that person. Hey, how about go and shout them a cup of coffee? Hey, how about you go and share about you? And you're like, yep, yeah, no. No. Yeah, Naaman was having one of those moments. He's like, you know what? I'm a valiant man. I'm a warrior. He could send me on a quest. I could conquer anything, and then I would come back. And then I would receive my healing. That was his thought. Well, like, I, I've got all this money. I've got all this. I can pay for my cure. You know, the first thing is he rocks up the wrong place, knocking on the wrong door. 
And now he is here, he's saying, you know what, you want me to obey this simple act where I could just pay for this. I I could just do a valiant act and, and this could be all over and done with. You know, Proverbs 14 verse 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Sometimes it's, we look at things of God and we think, how foolish is that plan? It's like in our own eyes, it's like, God, how could you come through? You want me to go and bathe in a river, in the Jordan River? It's muddy. Back in Syria, you know what? We've got pristine streams. I could go there and I could wash. In other words, the man of God was saying, hey, go and have a bath. You stink. Like, I'm not going to get healing from having a bath. It's too simple. It was too simple. Yeah, he was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to give, but he wasn't willing to obey. You know, I believe this is that God is after our obedience more than our sacrifice. He's after a, a, a people that would just obey God, obey his word at the simplicity of his word. As humans, we like to complicate things too much. But God is just saying, hey, come back to the simple message. Come back to the simplicity of the Bible. 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey. In our obedience, we receive our miracle. At this point, Naaman is wrestling within himself. He's like, well, you know, I, I can go back home and I can bathe myself there. I, I can. But then all of a sudden, what happens is this young servant girl is still there. She's shown up once. And all of a sudden, she shows up again. And she addresses him and says, hey, father. That doesn't sound like a bitter, twisted servant. That sounds like someone that has been loved, that has been washed with the love of God. She addresses him in a manner of respect, of honor, of great honor. And says, well, hey, you know, you you would do a valiant thing. I know that you're a man of valor. But he's just asked you to do a simple act. Why don't you do it? And again, The credibility of her voice comes through. Cuts through the pride of man to the very heart. And we find him dipping himself seven times in the Jordan River. Once, twice. Maybe the first time he comes up and there's nothing, it's all still the same. Goes down again, comes up. Still the same. Goes down again and comes up. All of a sudden he sees some of his skin being restored. Goes down again. Fourth time comes up and a little bit more and it's feeling nice and smooth. Goes down again and then comes up. And maybe on the fifth or sixth time he finds that he's starting to get back his fingers or maybe his nose and some of the dysfunctions coming back. And he's becoming whole again. And on the seventh time he receives healing. 
on the seventh time, he receives his miracle. He receives wholeness, complete healing. And the great thing about this story is that there's only one person that can get the glory, and that's God himself. Because as soon as Naaman receives healing, as soon as he finds out, he comes up and he's like, wow, this is a miracle, I am healed. He gets his servant, he gets the army, and he goes back to the man of God. And he's like, here, take all this wealth. I I give it to you like I am healed. Now I can go back and serve my master. Now I can go back and serve the king of Syria. And the man of God's like, no, I don't want any of it. Keep it. Because I did nothing. There is only one God and one God alone. And Naaman realized that. He come to that realization when he received wholeness. That right now, there is only one God. Where he was a man that would serve many gods, now he knew the one true God. And from that day on, he says to the man of God, from this day on, I will serve. I will worship only one God. And in that moment, the man of God took nothing from him. And I believe it was because then Naaman couldn't go back to his country and say, I paid for my miracle. But in turn, as this revelation come upon him, he said this, he said, well, then can I ask something of you? And Elisha's like, what do you want? Can I have two mules of dirt? Why would he ask for that? Why would you want dirt? Why why would you ask for dirt? Who's ever asked for someone's dirt? Your dirt's better than mine. I want to take it. I want to plant something. No. It was the reason behind it. It's because he knew he had to go back and serve his master, the king. But he wanted to worship the true God. And the true God lived in Israel. And so he thought, you know what, I I can't live in this place all the time. But you know what, I can take the God of this land back to where I dwell. And set up an altar. You know, I believe that's with us, is that we are called. When we are washed, when we are healed, when God comes and moves in. When we find salvation, God calls us to take God from where we found him into where we are. It's not a place where we come and we worship God here in this moment and we leave God here. But no, we go out into the world and we take Him with us everywhere. In our family, in our community, in our workplace. So when the opportunity arises, we can be the answer. Like that girl went in. She was captured. She was in that place. She was a slave. She was a servant. She was a maid. But all of a sudden, she brought salvation to that house. She found favor in that house. And now her master, who God had humbled, was saying to him, hey. And he was like, I never want to leave this moment, this place. I never want to leave this experience. I never want to leave this land where the presence, where the God of Israel dwells. 
And if I have to leave this place, you know what? I'm going to take your land with me because your God will come with me then. And as Christians, we have God inside of us. So when we go, so when you really look at this story, it's more than a story of healing, it's a story of salvation. It's a story of individuals humbling ourselves. Those that don't know God, those that you know, aren't weary of who God is, listening to those, is that God will use you as a messenger to bring salvation to those that don't know God. And the way that He does that is He prepares their heart and all we do is point them in the right direction. And when they find God, when they experience God, they take God back to their place. They take God back to their community. And that's what we're called to do. Take God everywhere with us. And then point everyone to Him. Father God, I thank You that we have an amazing church. Lord God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your promises. I thank You for who You are. Lord God, I thank You for Your saving grace. And Father God, today I pray that You move on each and every one of us. Lord God, that Your Spirit calms and entwines our hearts, that we'll be messengers of Your Gospel. Lord God, in every opportunity, every problem that arises, that we see the opportunity to share Your faith. We see the opportunity to shine Your glory, to be a light, to declare Your love to all humanity, Father God. Today, Father, I pray that You stir our hearts as Christians to share Your faith. But God, also too, for some of us in this room, Lord God, today I pray that you stir our hearts. For some of us that are dealing with pride, that are dealing with just giving it all over to God, today, Father, I, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Lord God, that you stir our hearts afresh. Lord, that we'll be able to trust you fully. Today, Father, I, I pray that we just won't live out our plans, but we'll live out your plans. Today, Father, stir our hearts. Just while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give an invitation this morning. And you've heard a message. And that message is about the love of God. A love that just wants to reach out and bring healing to humanity. To bring healing to mankind. To bring healing and hope to those that have no hope. Those that don't have a relationship with God. And our healing is found, first of all, with a relationship with God. And today, you might be sitting there and this could be your first time in church and you don't have that relationship. I would love to pray with you this morning. I would love to pray with you that you would receive that relationship, that you would have that relationship. And so this morning, if you want a relationship with God, as Naaman came to find God. I'd love for you just to raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying with. As I look across, thank you up the back. Does anyone else want to join this gentleman? As I look across, 
Father God, you see every heart in this place. And Lord God, for those that are responding to you, wanting a relationship with you, Father, today I pray that you send your Holy Spirit as a guarantee to wash over their lives as they believe upon you today. They believe upon Jesus Christ as he died on the cross and he rose again. Father, I pray right now that as they start this journey, Lord God, that it will be an eternal decision, Father. Right now, pour out your spirit over each and every one of us and one of them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Come on, let's give him a hand.